Good evening, everyone. Joshna here. Thank you so much for joining me. Kia ora, namaskar, and greetings. So tonight I have another special guest with me. His name is Briganut. Uh, Briganut is part of the um, our community, our local community here at Sunrise Farm. Briganut has been involved with um, different events um, around the farm for many years and coming to our regular meditations and ketans also and really supportive of the farm and all things that happen here. And Briganut has his PhD. It was actually, he got his PhD under the law faculty and the title of his PhD is... Well, the title was Divine Sovereignty, which Divine is essentially God owns the planet. God owns the planet. So welcome, Briganut. Thank you so much for joining us. I'd like to ask you if you could share with the listeners something about your background. Okay, yeah. Well, firstly, the PhD um, was um, looking at, you know, the legal legitimacy of uh, private private land ownership, and uh, it came about due to um, one of my supervisors had co-written a book about property, and he said, you know, you're interested in spirituality, you know, a strange um, aspect that we discovered when we were were researching was that um, the fundamental justification for why anybody owns anything is because God gave the planet to Adam. He said you might (laughs) do well to start looking a bit more closely at that. So, you know, that's how it started and that's what I ended up doing. But it did encompass quite a few things. Firstly, um, as it's a biblical idea, you know, where did that come from? It's actually a Roman um, interpretation um, the uh, Genesis um, one twenty eight, when he talks about d- the dominion over, you know, dominion's a Roman legal term, which wasn't the original um, Aramaic or, or, or Jewish or Hebrew um, sort of um, meaning of, of the word, and you know, part you know, I started off by looking at the Buddhist biography of Jesus, which. Um, had um, was a story of when Jesus apparently went overland to India, and a lot of verbatim quotes by Jesus, and one of them happened to be that um, humans are stewards on the planet, and uh, everything ultimately um, is a fund is um, an expression or um, a manifestation of God. You know, he did have that. Uh, perspective himself so you know I looked at that and then I also looked at the Big Bang and which is you know the conventional theory of creation and uh, showed a a few things which weren't you know didn't really stand up to scrutiny and then I sort of looked at um, certain things which um, were an indication everything was fundamentally spiritual and this is where the start of um, <laughs> my understanding of um, of different music coming from plants originated from some research I did on um, on two things. One is a person called um, 
Harold Saxton Burr, who spent 30 or 40 years um, doing some tree research. And he, he was a professor at university, at the Yale University, and he hooked up um, some trees near, nearby his home and nearby his office at the university with um, some electrodes. And um, he had one set of electrodes higher up the trunk, trunk than the other, and he also um, he got put them in, embedded them underneath the trunk into what is called the cambium, under underneath the bark rather, in what is called the cambium, which is essentially um, a kind of um, vibrating um, sort of area where the sap gets pumped up the trunk. Um, and um, these remain there for 20 or 30 years. And he was doing 24-7 um, readings of the electrical fluctuations between one set of electrodes and the other, which were about six feet apart. And uh, during this research, um, he found out there was a hurricane you know, nearby, well, you know, it wasn't close to hand, but it was nearby. And suddenly the um, the electrical um, needle went haywire, you know, went off the chart. Mm -hmm. um, oh. And uh, he also found that during the winter time, it went down into the negatives, and in the summertime, it went up into the positives, but it typically varied between. Um, 200 millivolts and minus 200 millivolts and it would be constantly fluctuating. Mm. Um, so this is a kind of model that has been kind of uh, developed into, you know, Dam and her have got this music of the plants device. Um, another word, word for it is a, a bioactivity translator. Mm. which translates um, the difference between the electrical potential of the plant and of the earth. You, you put one stake or spike into the earth and the other lead has got two sensors on it, kind of two electrodes, and you clip it onto a leaf so that one is either side. And um, so you're really measuring um, the difference between or the fluctuations going on in the electricity of the leaf. This is essentially what you're measuring. And it is translated into musical tones mm. and um, different, um, different plants have got different, or the leaves of different plants have got different musical tones. And when I first got the device, I, I actually um, went through all, all the plants in the greenhouse and and recorded them on a cassette tape, you know, about 45 minutes either, either side of the cassette, you know, with a view to keeping them and in the wintertime having a listen to them to see if I could um, find any, any significance in, in the differences. But, you know, I never actually did that. But... One thing which was very striking 
was the dandelion was was one of the um no, sorry the stinging nettle was one of the um most yeah, beautiful musicians and um <laughs> it wasn't something I particularly wanted in the greenhouse but once I'd hooked yeah. it up and it started making this beautiful music it was quite difficult to pull it out wow so um you know there's one instance where um I had the device hooked up to the leaf of a stinging nettle and it was kind of very a lot of a lot of music was coming out a lot of a lot of different notes it was coming out but whereas some of the um plants it's a bit slower than that and um some of them it it, it produces nothing whatsoever mm. and um so with the stinging nettle I decided it was going to come out anyway because otherwise you get the greenhouse full up and choked with the roots of stinging nettles. So with all the sensors left on, I pulled the stinging nettle out of the soil Yes. and it continued singing. Wow. And then I detached the leaf which the electrodes were connected to and it still continued singing. That's very interesting. And then after maybe... 10 seconds it stopped and it, it, it didn't start again but um wow. so the dam and her who make this device do um in their advertising they suggest that um the plants are aware of the of, of the music they're making and if humans with musical instruments start um playing similar sounds, mm -hmm. you know, the, the plant responds to wow. that and you can get some kind of harmony going. So um, I've done some experiments on that and particularly, you know, this summer with a friend, Roxanne, who's um, got a harp and she's very, very versatile on the harp. And um, so she was tuning in and, and playing little tunes um, in the same vicinity key or whatever to the actual music coming from the the leaf. Um, and then it's kind of debatable whether there's harmony there. Like, um, like to myself listening, it didn't necessarily seem like there was, but to her playing, she did since there was some feedback and also another friend played his harp there um a year a year or so ago Jens and he likewise thought that there was some kind of feedback coming from the leaf but you know what does seem to be certain if if it didn't harmonize there was some blending going on between the two the plants music and the instruments music so um Roxanne then suggested that um it would be interesting to have um more than two plants um producing music simultaneously and, and to see whether um you know a two leaves on the same plant are, are producing the same music or or how much different other um other plants are and, and whether there's any common denominator there. Mm. Um, th th there was um, 
a couple of entrepreneurs who started up a company called Phytel Sounds, you know, that's P-H-Y-T-L, which, you know, relates to plants. And they produced three different devices, you know, one for laboratory experiments, one really elaborate device, one for um, people, for entertainment of people, and another one for gardeners to, to figure out whether the plant was in a, in a good state of health. Um, unfortunately, they didn't get enough um, orders to sustain the company. But I had I had a, some telephone com no Skype communication with the guy Nibri Nigel Woolbridge, who was one of the two who did the in invention. And, uh, you know, he surprised me by saying that there's some background noise going on and the plant's really just going on, on, on top of the background noise. And, and he attributed the background noise to submarine signals and he consequently said that a plant has typically now got over a volt of um, of electricity in its signal. Over a volt. Over a volt. Uh, yeah, over a volt. Well, you know, that suddenly triggered memories of Harold Saxton Burr, who wasn't doing plants, he was doing trees. And the maximum he was getting was 200 millivolts, which is a fifth of a volt. And that's for a, a much larger entity, a tree, that, that, than a, mm. a, a, a plant. Yes. And then he was doing these, uh, Harold Saxton Bell was doing these experiments for, for, I say, 20 or 30 years, starting in 1940, early 40s. And then in 1962, he noticed, he's written a book actually called um, Blueprint for Eternity or immortality, I'm not sure. And in that book, it is mentioned that um, in 1962, the readings he was getting from all of his trees suddenly jumped up from being plus 200 millivolts to minus 200 millivolts. They then started fluctuating between the boundaries of 400 millivolts and minus 400 millivolts and he was you know, confused or puzzled by what it was that had caused that um, that sudden shift. Well, when Nigel started talking about it now being over a volt, which is far more than that and attributing it to submarine sounds, I started doing a bit of investigation myself and I found that in 1962 the US military actually um, started their hurricane research um, sort of um, centre and um, you know part of weather modification you know there's a lot of talk about geoengineering at the moment and um, 
of um, kind of modifying the world's weather to, to sort of counteract global warming, that's if global warming is happening or climate change. Um, but uh, um, it started off as a military um, research, you know, because an army would like to change the weather if they're in a battle with somebody else and they'd like to make it rain or make it awkward for the, for their um, adversary. And um, I'm wondering whether it's the Hurricane Research Centre, which, you know, bearing in mind that um, Harold Saxton Burr found that uh, his, uh, his readings went off the chart, you know, when a hurricane was nearby, um, and also with storms, he also found that suddenly things got very um, chaotic during storms. You know, the needle went, started going haywire again. Um, so, you know, that would be a good justification for um, exploring that a bit further. Um, and... Uh, who knows um, whether that's what's caused the change, but certainly there has been um, a lot more background noise now than there used to be. And then the question, of course, arises about whether these plants have got a background noise there or, or whether it's all coming from the plant. So you're kind of saying that <clears throat> the background noise is what's is also stimulating the plants to create to create more of a response from, um, like you're saying, a fifth to a whole volt. Actually, but by noise, I mean um, electrical noise, you know, yeah. something that's disturbing your yes. readings, you know, something. Some, and normally the noise is a lot smaller than the reading you're trying to observe. Right. So it's just called background noise. But this isn't background noise, this is foreground noise because that noise the noise is actually much larger than, mm. the, than the signal you're trying to um, register. But now that's something that I, I haven't got a solution for and I, I'm, I'm not sure whether that applies to the plants because there are times when you clip, clip the electrodes on the leaf and it doesn't make any, any sound whatsoever for a while and then suddenly it starts um, making, uh, you know, registering notes. So, um, Do you think it might be also responding to, to you or to the people around it? Well, of course, that's a possibility. Yeah, that is a possibility. Um, um, so having some sort of communication. In fact, in that, that's what the recent research was really about because um, a guy called um, Dr Spottiswood did some research um, in the late 1990s and he gathered together a lot of um, parapsychology research that had been conducted in a laboratory situation at a, a recognised institution. And this was all research that had been done before, so it was what had already been documented. And he... Um, he got um, 20, 21 different researches, um, which between them had over 
1,500 different trials, the experiment had different trials, different um, things within the one experiment. And then he, he checked it with sidereal time and he found that, quite by surprise, that at 13.5, that's um, by a solar clock, that would be 1.30 p.m., but the sidereal clock is a 24-hour clock. Um, uh, you know, almost 24 hours is a little bit different. There's one extra sidereal day in a year to solar days. Um, he found that um, at that particular time, the um, response, um, the effectiveness of the response tripled to what it was at other times of the day. And um, so then he got another um, 23 different um, researchers that have been similarly done and all recorded the times in recognised um, laboratories in, in uh, university institutions. And uh, this one had over a thousand different trials in, in these 23 different researches. And again, he found the same um, same phenomenon that uh, an hour either side of thirteen point five, um, the effect size um, this time it went up over four hundred percent. The other one it was about three hundred and forty percent, but the second one went up over four hundred percent. Um, so it's, what was that about? What do you think that was about? Well, what that actually means is that there's a certain part of the sky hmm. or the celestial firmament which um, exaggerates or enhances, is probably a better word, enhances um, extrasensory perception so that anyone who has any kind of ability with extrasensory perception becomes a lot more um, clearer and um, much higher quality reception during that two-hour period. Um, so um, this, you know, I've got a sidereal clock and this time we have done the heart research within that two-hour period mm -hmm. yeah hmm. um you know that was one of the criteria that we 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 use which um at this moment in time is is about two two p.m in the afternoon but it, it varies hmm. four minutes a day you know it changes four minutes a day so hmm. you know a couple of months ago it was nine o'clock in the evening so it was not a very hmm. good time for researching but then it kind of hmm. crept into the afternoon and now it's about two o'clock so, um, um, what, I, would you like to say something about your experience with Kirtan? Because you've been doing Kirtan for a long time. I don't know if you've been doing any experiments with that, with Kirtan, but anything related um, to Kirtan? Yeah, I've been, um, I've certainly been around when people have put bottles of water underneath uh, a table when you know, Kirtan was being played. And um, 
as far as I know, no dramatic difference occurred to the water. You know, I, I haven't heard of any, you know, I, I personally haven't heard of any people suddenly getting, you know, cured with, with the water, but that also could be due to um, the manner in which it was done because um, there was a chap called um, Masaru Emoto from Japan who did a lot of research. He was actually um, a doctor or healer, you know, a healer. And he was kind of looking into the process of healing. And um, he did a whole lot of experiments in books which are now published called Messages from Water. And um, he found that when a sample of water was put between people who were singing very... Um, spiritual songs that um, when he would then transfer the water into about 50 Petri dishes, put them into the deep freeze, snap freeze them, and then um, he would thaw them out gradually when he was there with the camera. And when it's just at the stage of turning from ice to water, he would photograph them and he'd get a kind of snowflake mm, effect yes. from the different mm-hmm. um, types of water which or different um, water from different uh, regions or different situations which he had snapped snap frozen. And he found that uh, when people had been um, singing or putting pot- positive energy into um into their thoughts at the time that the that the water was amongst them it affected the percentage of times that that it formed a symmetrical snowflake Mm, yes you know a lot a lot of them when they thought they didn't produce anything at all you know and some a bit of you know a bit of a mess but it, it it increased the percentage of times that something very beautiful came out of these Petri dishes when he thawed them. Yes. Well, he was giving um, some uh, a lecture in, in London and also a workshop, a lecture on the Friday night and a workshop on the Saturday. Now, he's no longer alive, actually. He died several years ago. And... I was, I forget where I was, but I um, decided to go along to both of these. And um, the lecturer on the Friday night was just going through his research and then I was led to believe that on the Saturday we'd be actually doing some of it ourselves, but unfortunately we weren't. But it was, he went through the whole history of how he came about doing it and then people were asking him questions and answers. And he did points out then that um, his process didn't work with glass. It mm. only worked with plastic. Mm. Um, and that's not what most people would imagine. Most people would imagine it's the other way around. But yeah. um, it seems that this vibration can penetrate better through plastic than it can through glass. So um, mm. uh, maybe that is one reason and perhaps also with a cap on the bottle it might be better to leave the 
top open so that the energy can get into the water. Mm -hmm. So that's right. not really been done right. um, in the best possible way, as far as I can see. Yes. To get you know the, the best possible result, according to his um, Masuro Ruo Masuro Emoto's um, uh, experiences. And then also somebody asked him, um, is there any difference between music that um, is live, you know, it's being played to the, to the water, to a sample of water um, by somebody with an instrument or something that um, pre is recorded, pre-recorded. Yeah. Pre <coughs> and he said, yeah, actually there was. He hmm. said the percentage of times they got a a clear-cut pattern in the snowflake was greatest with the um, live music. Second best was with vinyl mm -hmm. know, records. Mm. And third best was with CD. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what he uh, said. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting idea to sort of see to do some experiments, you know, with water under the um, appropriate um, protocols. Yes. And, um, and see if we end up with a cure-all, you know, you, because um, <laughs> if, it has got, if it has got some universal spiritual energy there, um, that can only be good news. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much, Brigitte. I really appreciate sharing your research with us. All I see and all I breathe A wonderland of bush and streams It's a simple life of a dream Growing patterns and breeze. Disheveled cabbage tree, do you laugh at me as you stand it on one leg? Looking fast as you wink at me and you shake your shaggy head. Thrilling leaves that come between. Two branches of a tree They are quietly whispering As they're moving in the breeze Moving sensually Spiky thorns are shimmering, each strands are combing along my passing lips as I could step across the streets, the streets of Thank you.
From some hidden ocean eyes, flashes green in the starlight. You bring me to delight. Thank you.